Okay, so we'll continue with the book of Deuteronomy. Today we'll uh, start with chapter 16. And as we've been going through these uh, chapters, we see that uh, everything seems to tie back uh, to the worship uh, experience. So chapter 12 is where we started, where Moses is giving more detailed uh, instructions. So in chapter 12, we saw that uh, in order to prepare for worship, uh, we need to destroy all the idols and then go to a chosen place and have a time of rejoicing uh, as a corporate uh, experience. And chapter 13, we saw some of the distractions or dangers uh, to worship uh, through false teachings or through family and friends. And chapter 14, we saw how the way we keep our body and that what we eat uh, is also impacts our worship. And tithes are also part of our worship where we are giving to the Lord uh, cheerfully. And chapter 15, uh, we saw again, uh, showing compassion to debtors and slaves and poor. And that is also part of the worship experience where we not only love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, but we also love our neighbors. We love others uh, with the same love uh, that we have received uh, from God. So if you are not able to love others, then obviously it will impact our worship experience. So we can tie that also to the overall worship. And as we come to chapter 16, uh, we read about the feasts uh, that were kept. And that is also a time of uh, celebration uh, that is done annually where people are coming together. So again, that is part of the worship uh, experience. So we see that uh, God gives a lot of importance to worship. And all of these chapters uh, seem to tie uh, to a worship experience. And God wants to bring uh, the people of Israel, uh, not only uh, from Egypt or not only from bondage, but he also wants to take them uh, to a greater and a more intimate uh, worship experience that is not just uh, based on traditions, but it is based on reverence and it's based on personal uh, experience of what God has done uh, in their life. So the feasts, so Deuteronomy chapter 16, as we have seen before, uh, Deuteronomy is like a summary of some of the things that have happened uh, in the past. So Deuteronomy 16 is a little bit uh, brief uh, in the way it explains all the feasts. But when we go back to the book of Leviticus or the book of Numbers, uh, we can get a little bit more uh, deeper uh, meaning or a broader context. So we'll try to go to that as we go along. So as we look at the seven feasts, uh, we see that the feasts are historical. So there is a historical context uh, to the event uh, that is happening and the call to celebration. But at the same time, the feasts are also forward-looking. And we would see that four of the feasts uh, are already fulfilled and three are yet to come uh, in terms of prophecy. And we also see that even though the feasts were uh, instituted uh, in the past, uh, for the Jewish people, but we can also see uh, applications for us uh, for today. So that makes it uh, relevant uh, for us uh, to know and understand what the Lord is telling them. So as we look at all of the feasts, uh, we see some general uh, thoughts. Uh, we can see that the feasts have been uh, instituted by God uh, for the Jewish nation. So these are not feasts uh, that we see in the New Testament. So we know that uh, it was specially uh, instituted by God uh, for the chosen uh, generation when he brought them out of Egypt. 
And we also see that the holy, uh, it is seen as a holy convocation with God or a corporate uh, experience where people are coming together uh, to fellowship uh, with God first and also with others. And thirdly, all of these feasts are taking place at an appointed time, which is set uh, by the Lord. And it is also taking place at a chosen place, which God has uh, chosen, where God uh, himself is present and he's going to commune with them and he's going to join in the celebration. And the feasts are a time of remembrance. Uh, it is a time of rejoicing, as we will see. Uh, it is a time of worship and praise for who God is and what he has done in their life uh, in times past. And we also see that uh, associated with the feasts uh, is an element of compassion and generosity, like we have seen in the previous chapters. And we also see that all of these feasts uh, are a time of rest. So it is associated with the Sabbath and there is a greater rest, uh, not just a physical rest where they're not working during that day, but there is also a spiritual rest as they reflect on uh, their time with God and the way he has led them uh, in the journey. So we'll just summarize the seven feasts that we see in Leviticus uh, chapter 23. And in Deuteronomy chapter 16, uh, we see uh, four feasts. Uh, the number one and two are combined into one, which is the feast of Passover and the feast of unleavened bread. And three and four are uh, again combined, which is the feast of first fruits and the Pentecost. And number seven, which is the feast of tabernacles uh, is also covered, uh, but five and six is not covered. So for the sake of completion, we'll go through all seven feasts. And maybe we'll get through one to four today, and we'll take a look at the rest and the remainder of the chapter uh, next week uh, as the Lord leads. So the first one uh, is the Feast of Passover, which takes place uh, in the month of March uh, to April, which is the first month uh, in the Jewish uh, calendar. So that takes place on the 14th day, uh, followed by the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which takes place on the 15th day and the Feast of first fruits, which takes place on the 17th day. So we see that uh, the first three feasts that we see uh, are taking place uh, almost uh, simultaneously uh, during the same week. And the Feast of Pentecost, uh, it takes place uh, 50 days uh, after the Passover or with the first uh, feast. So during the first uh, 50 days, uh, the four feasts are covered. And then there is a break then when we get to the fall season, uh, we see the remaining uh, three feasts, uh, again, happening within a short uh, time frame. Okay, and also we see that Sabbath, uh, we see the word Sabbath uh, associated with many of the feasts. And that takes us back to the book of Genesis, uh, chapter two and verse two, where it says, and on the seventh day, God ended his work, uh, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, uh, which he had made. And as we go through the feast, we'll see that uh, during the time of feasting, God is calling them uh, to set aside their work and come uh, to the appointed place uh, for a time of celebration, for a time of uh, reflection, and a time of corporate worship. So the Sabbath is, uh, of course, the day of rest, and it is also seen as a holy day, a day of reverence, and for Jewish people, that would be the seventh uh, day of the week. Uh, so for Jewish people, uh, the Sabbath begins 
on Friday uh, at sunset and it ends on Saturday at sunset. So if you're living near, near synagogues, we see that there's a lot of uh, activity that happens uh, on Saturday because that is when the Jewish people are uh, keeping the Sabbath. So they might be going to the synagogues or they might be going, uh, having fellowship with other Jewish families. So Saturday is a busy day for them. And on Sunday would be when they would kind of take off. So, but we also see that uh, Sabbath is not just restricted to Saturday. When we uh, interpret it uh, in the context of day of rest or day when no work is done, so even when we look at the feast, uh, not all of them take place on Saturday, which tells us that uh, the word Sabbath could be a broader term, which happens not just on Saturday, but also other days of the week. So we'll take a look at the seven uh, feasts, uh, why they were uh, instituted and what, what is the connection with the future or what is the prophecy that is associated with the feast and also see how we can apply uh, the truth or the application uh, to our lives uh, even today. So that makes it uh, relevant for all of us uh, to understand the different fees because it takes us uh, all the way to eternity uh, in terms of the prophecies. So it's very interesting uh, when we look at it that way. So we'll start with uh, verses uh, one through eight, uh, where in the book of Deuteronomy, the two feasts are combined, the feast of Passover and feast of unleavened bread. So they take place uh, within the same uh, time interval. So, and they're connected to each other. So uh, we can combine it, but when we are studying it, we can look at it uh, separately so that we understand what each one of them means. Uh, what is the feast of Passover? And what is the Feast of Unleavened Bread? Okay, so here we see the Feast of Passover, which is uh, obviously a very important feast, uh, historically speaking. So in terms of context, uh, it goes back to the 10th plague uh, that was uh, in the Egypt that we read about in the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 12. We can read from 12 through 14 and also 5 through 7. Uh, in 5 through 7, it says, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, you shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening, and they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the house, uh, wherein uh, they shall eat it. So those are the instructions that is given. Uh, you need to slay a lamb, sheep or a goat, and take the blood and apply it on the doorposts of each house. And when they do that, uh, when we go to verse 12, it says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, uh, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague uh, shall not be upon you to destroy you uh, when I smite the land of Egypt. And this shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast uh, to the Lord uh, throughout your generations. Uh, ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. So when we read the book of uh, Exodus, we get a little bit more context. We know why they are celebrating Passover. 
and how it was done by slaying the sheep or goat and applying the blood on the doorpost. So when the angel of death, as we call it, when they passed uh, through Egypt, uh, when it saw the blood, uh, it will simply pass over. So there would be no judgment on those houses that had uh, applied the blood. And of course, the Jewish people, they did that and they were saved uh, on that day. But all the Egyptian firstborn, both man and beast, uh, were destroyed on that night. So obviously, that's a very big event that happened in their history. And here they are given instructions that they need to remember uh, that event and to recognize God's hand in their redemption. And when we go back to the book of Genesis, uh, we see that the very first uh, sacrifice that was made uh, for covering the sin that was made by Adam and Eve uh, was also through a sacrifice. So in Genesis 3.21, it says, unto Adam also and to his wife uh, did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. So that's the skin of an animal. So obviously, you have to kill the animal before you can extract the skin. So we see that the very first sacrifice also involved the blood uh, that was used. So uh, going back to the uh, Deuteronomy and also Leviticus, we read that when the Feast of Passover should be done, uh, it is done in the month of Abib, uh, which is also known as the month of Nisan, uh, the first month uh, in the Jewish calendar. And they are to celebrate it on the 14th day of the first month. So for Jewish people, the, the first month would be between mid-March and mid-April. So that is where we see, uh, even recently, we saw that Passover was celebrated by Jewish people. So that is where it comes from in the month of Abib, which is the first day, first month in a Jewish calendar. And the reason uh, is obviously more important, uh, more than the date. Uh, we want to focus on why they were doing what they were doing. So the reason was to simply remember and to give thanks uh, for the deliverance that they received uh, from Egyptian bondage. So that was their redemption experience. And in order to do that, they were asked to offer burnt offerings uh, at the chosen place. So when we look at the Jewish calendar, there are places where you can convert uh, our calendar to Jewish calendar. So currently it would be uh, called Nisan 29, which is for us is April 20th, and the year would be 5783. So the Jewish people will count the calendar uh, <laughs> starting uh, at the sixth day of creation, uh, which means uh, since the creation on sixth day, uh, we are at around 5700 years. So when we look at the uh, prophecy regarding the first one, which is the, uh, the Passover, we see that uh, Lord Jesus Christ, uh, he became the Passover lamb. And when we come to the New Testament, we see that Lord Jesus Christ, uh, he was crucified on the Passover day. So even the Passover was established uh, many years back, but when the time came for the ultimate uh, sacrifice, uh, it also happened at the same day. And now, since Lord Jesus Christ was sacrificed, uh, there is no, no more uh, sacrifices required. We don't need to sacrifice any more lambs, because through that one sacrifice, uh, we are saved uh, from death uh, that is caused by sins. So the Jewish people had to kill many animals uh, to be uh, saved. But for us, uh, we have received the final sacrifice, 
in the form of Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians uh, 5, 7. Uh, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. So he became the lamb, uh, which was sacrificed for all of our sins. And John 1.29 says, Behold the Lamb of God, uh, which taketh away the sins of the whole world. So Jesus uh, paid for all of our sins, whether you're Jewish or Gentiles. Uh, all of us are covered by the sacrifice that was made at the cross. And we saw that the Jewish people, they had to apply the blood on the doorpost uh, in order to be saved. So they had to take uh, some steps of obedience and a step of faith uh, in order to be saved. So they simply obeyed and they believed that the Lord Jesus, God will save them uh, when they applied the blood on the doorpost. In the same way, we also have to believe that Lord Jesus Christ has paid for our sins. And when we confess our sins and when we recognize the work on the cross, uh, we also will be saved. So the price has been paid. Uh, all we have to do is to receive that uh, sacrifice by faith. And when we do that, uh, we will be saved, uh, just like the people of Israel. And the second one is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, which also takes place uh, around the same time. So here we see again, the instructions are very clear that for seven days, uh, they need to eat uh, unleavened bread. And uh, when we look at verse 15 of Exodus 12, it says, uh, you need to put away leaven uh, out of your houses and you need to abstain from leaven or from yeast uh, for a period of seven days. And those who break that rule, uh, there is a consequence, uh, as we read in verse 19, that they would be excommunicated. So we see that uh, instructions are given and it is expected that the people will obey. And if they chose to disobey, there would be a consequence. So this happens on the 15th day of the first month. So Passover started on the 14th day, and this will start on the 15th day uh, for a period of seven days. And the reason for that would be to remember the affliction in the house of bondage, which was Egypt. And by eating unleavened bread, uh, there is a call to holiness uh, or sanctification or separation from sin. And when we read the Bible, uh, we see that leaven uh, is associated with sin uh, that spreads and puffs up, uh, just like when we put yeast uh, in, the bake, in the baking things, uh, it will puff it up and it will also spread very quickly and it will destroy. So, and they are told how they should do it. Uh, the first day would be holy convocation uh, with no work uh, being done and they would offer burnt offerings, and they would eat the unleavened bread for six days, uh, which is also seen as a bread of affliction, reminding them of the hardship uh, that they went through uh, when they were in bondage. And when we read uh, Exodus 12, 34, we see that uh, on the day of Passover, uh, they had to quickly leave the place. Uh, when the Lord asked them to leave uh, Egypt, uh, they had to prepare and leave their homes in haste. So there was no time for the doubt to rise. As we read in 1234, and the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading drawers being bound up uh, in their clothes upon their shoulders. So they left uh, Egypt in haste and there was not enough time uh, for the doubt to raise, rise. 
And again, this is a prophecy that is fulfilled uh, through Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, again, uh, in the context uh, of crucifixion, uh, again, in the context of the Lord's sacrifice on the cross. And we know that Lord Jesus Christ, uh, even though he lived in this world, uh, he was uh, without sin. So in that sense, uh, he was the only unleavened person uh, to live in this world, uh, even though he faced uh, the same temptations, uh, even though uh, he lived in the same situation. Uh, he was still uh, without sin. And even after he was crucified, uh, we see that in Psalm 1610, that his body did not decay, because it says in Psalm 1610, for thou will not leave my soul in hell, neither will thou suffer thine holy one to see uh, corruption. So even in death, uh, we see that Lord Jesus Christ, he maintained uh, his uh, purity. There was no decay or there was no corruption. Uh, in his body. And Peter writing in 1 Peter 1, 18, 19, uh, again, he reminds us that we were not redeemed uh, with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious uh, blood of Christ uh, as of a lamb uh, without blemish and without spot or without any guile. So we see that the second uh, prophecy is also fulfilled uh, at the cross where Lord Jesus Christ uh, himself uh, became that unleavened bread. And later on, uh, in speaking in John 6, 35, Lord Jesus Christ himself says, uh, I am that bread of life. And Paul, uh, writing in 1 Corinthians, uh, speaking of leaven, uh, when he's responding to sinful practices uh, that were happening in the Corinth church, uh, he admonishes them by uh, writing in 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, uh, knowing not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump, or a small sin can corrupt the entire body, or a small skin, sin can corrupt the entire church. So he was admonishing them, so, and he was telling them, uh, purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened, for even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So this again tells us that when we are coming uh, into the Lord's presence, uh, if there is any sin uh, in our life, uh, we need to confess it. Uh, we need to be uh, receive forgiveness uh, for that sin. Uh, before we come into his presence, like we saw last year, last week. And also we are warned that even a little sin uh, can spread uh, very quickly and eventually destroy our spiritual life. So we are told to purge out that sin and take it out. And the way we do it is by confessing uh, and based on the blood of Christ, uh, we receive uh, forgiveness for our sins. Uh, as we read in 1 John 1, 7, that the blood of Lord Jesus Christ uh, is able to cleanse us from all of our sins. So when we put uh, these two first two feasts together, uh, we see that the first one speaks about our salvation experience or about our redemption from bondage. And the second feast reminds us that once we are born again, uh, we need to live a life that is uh, separated. We need to live a life that is uh, continuously being sanctified, uh, continuously being purified, 
and we need to stay away from any known uh, sin uh, in our life. So instead of malice and wickedness, uh, what we should see uh, in a believer's life uh, is sincerity and truth uh, rather than malice and wickedness. And when we come uh, to communion table, which we do uh, every Sunday, uh, we remember uh, what happened uh, in the past. We look back on the sacrifice that was made at the cross of Calvary. And we also rejoice and give thanks uh, for the work uh, that was done. And we repent uh, by after self-examination. If there's any uh, sin in our life, we repent. And we also look forward to the day when we would be in his presence. So in 1 Corinthians 11.26, it says, For as often as he eat this bread and drink this cup, uh, you do show the Lord's death uh, till he come. And again, in Matthew 26, uh, 29, it says, But I say unto you, uh, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the wine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So we look forward uh, to that day when we would be in the presence of the Lord. And uh, he, just like we are looking forward, he is also looking forward to the day when we would be in his presence. So those are the first two, and we'll try to get through number three, which is the Feast of First Fruits. And this happens the day after Sabbath, uh, which is a Sunday. So that would be the first day uh, on the calendar. And that happens uh, during the harvesting of barley, which is, again, the first harvest. And here uh, we see that there is a celebration and praise uh, when the first harvest is being done with the expectation that there would be more harvest uh, that is happening uh, in the future. So the Feast of First Fruits and the Feast of uh, Weeks, uh, which is covered in Deuteronomy, uh, they both are associated with harvest. So the Feast of First Fruits uh, happens at the beginning of the harvesting period. So even at that point, uh, you're recognizing that God is the source of that harvest, and you're celebrating that uh, with some offerings and with some sacrifices and you're bringing a sheaf of barley, or you're bringing some loose leaves of barley, uh, putting it together and waving it before the Lord. And the last uh, feast, which is the Feast of Weeks or Feast of Harvest, uh, which is what is mentioned in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, that happens at the end of the harvest season. So uh, we, when we did the book of Daniel, we also talked about the uh, different rapture and resurrections. So that is the connection with the Feast of First Fruits, and we'll get to that. So we know that the rapture of church uh, will take place uh, before the Great uh, Tribulation. And then we see that there is a first uh, resurrection that takes place uh, after the Tribulation, but before the thousand-year rule. And that resurrection uh, includes uh, the believers who are saved uh, during the Tribulation period. And it also includes the martyrs, and it also includes the Old Testament saints uh, that we read about in the Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4. And the second uh, resurrection is the resurrection of all the unbelievers. So we will see that the first, uh, the Feast of First Fruits and the Feast of uh, Harvest or Pentecost uh, is connected with this. So... So the first fruit uh, is the resurrection of Lord Jesus Christ that happened on the third day. 
uh, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 20 through 23. Uh, he says, but now is Christ risen uh, from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. So Lord Jesus Christ uh, is seen as the first fruit. And the expectation is that that is only the starting point. And from that point on, uh, people who believe in Lord Jesus Christ, uh, they will also be resurrected. So going to verse 21, it says, For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. So obviously this man is Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who was raised uh, from the dead on the third day. And verse 22, For as in Adam all die, uh, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, but every man in his own order. So Christ, the first fruit, which is the first a person to rise from the dead. And after that, uh, those, uh, the church uh, is taken up, which we uh, associate with the rapture. So that is the order. So Lord Jesus Christ is the first fruit. And after that, we see the church uh, being taken up uh, during the rapture time before the tribulation. And we also see others who were raised from the dead, uh, including Lazarus, which was the last miracle that Lord Jesus Christ did. But when he rose again from the dead, uh, he was not uh, resurrected uh, with a glorified body. Uh, he simply came alive, and at some point, he died again. So that is not a resurrection, and Lord Jesus Christ is the first one uh, to be resurrected from death. So we see that Lord Jesus Christ, he was crucified on the day of Passover, and then he was resurrected uh, as the first fruit on the day of the feast uh, of the first fruits. So on Sunday, uh, he was raised again. So again, we see that the prophecy is being fulfilled uh, in the context of uh, the work that was done at the cross, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. The Feast of Weeks, uh, which is mentioned uh, in verses 9 through 12, and that is also known as the Feast of Harvest or the Pentecost. Okay, so as we read the feast, we see that the Lord is always reminding them of certain things. Uh, he is always uh, taking them back uh, to the days uh, when they were slaves in Egypt. And he doesn't want them to forget uh, the experience that they had. Or he wants them to have that attitude of gratitude uh, for what God has done in their life. And we also see a spirit of rejoicing, which is a corporate uh, experience. So he wants them to come together. Uh, as one uh, during those times of feasting. And he also wants to uh, include uh, everyone, not just the uh, not just the landlords, but also the servants and the Levites and the strangers, the fatherless and the widows and those who are poor. So everyone should be part of that celebration because God is the source of all the blessings and they are remembering and they're giving back and giving thanks. So this Feast of Weeks, uh, it happens uh, 50 days uh, after the Passover, and it would be the wheat uh, harvest. And as we said, uh, the reason is to remember that one time they were also slaves. Uh, they were in bondage. And this is the end of the harvest. Uh, so it also recognizes uh, God's uh, continued blessing on the harvest uh, over the 49 days. So we know that just because you had a first harvest, uh, there is no guarantee that there would be a final harvest. 
a lot of things can go wrong in 49 days uh, in terms of the weather and other conditions. So when we come to the 50th day, uh, we are looking back and thanking God for sustaining the farm or the land during that time and blessing them uh, with a full harvest uh, at the end. And as we read uh, some of the details, we see that uh, this is a bigger celebration uh, than the Feast of First Fruits. And they're asked to offer a leavened bread, a burnt offering, a drink offering, a peace offering, and so on. So there is a significance to the leavened bread, so we'll come to that. And they're also offering two loaves of bread. So we see that uh, in, the in the Feast of First Fruits, uh, obviously there was no wheat was not full, but here uh, they are using the wheat to produce the bread uh, at the end of the harvest. And the two loaves of bread uh, is also representative of Jews and Gentiles uh, that are brought together and made one in Christ, as Paul talks about in Ephesians uh, 2.15. And we also see that this harvesting season is again uh, associated with compassion and generosity. So we see that the worship uh, experience of the people of Israel is always uh, very inclusive. It tries to include uh, everyone and it always uh, extends uh, compassion to those who are poor and those who are not in that inner circle. So in Leviticus uh, 23 and verse 22, it says, when you reap the harvest of your land, uh, thou shalt not make clean riddance of the corners of thy field uh, when thou reapest, neither shalt thou gather any gleaning of thy harvest Thou shalt leave them unto the poor and to the stranger. I am the Lord, your God. So again, God is reminding them that he is the source of all the blessings and they need to be mindful of those who are needy. So they should not completely wipe out the harvest. Uh, they should leave a certain portion of the land and the harvest uh, for those who are poor and those who are strangers uh, who do not have any land in that nation. So that is the Feast uh, of Weeks, which we also call the Pentecost because it's happening on the 50th day. And again, uh, we see that this prophecy is also fulfilled uh, in the New Testament. So we know that the church uh, was formed uh, on the day of Pentecost. And just as we said, that the Feast of first fruits uh, is just a sign for a greater harvest uh, in the days to come. So on the day of Pentecost, we know that 3,000 souls were harvested or 3,000 people were saved. And that is how the church was formed by the preaching of the gospel. And that is also the time uh, when the uh, Holy Ghost uh, descended, as we read in Acts chapter 2, uh, verses uh, 1 through 4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each one of them, and they were all filled uh, with the Holy Ghost. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So that is again a fulfillment uh, of the prophecy uh, that there would be a day of Pentecost where we would see a bigger harvest. And of course, the harvesting continues uh, even today as more and more people are being saved 
and added uh, to the fold. And as we saw earlier, uh, we are progressing from a loose uh, bundle of grain, uh, which was in the feast of first fruits, uh, to, to, to two loaves of bread, uh, which are made from the same harvest uh, in this feast. And we also read uh, that in this case, they are told to uh, offer a leavened bread. So that is an indication that there is a sin in the church and the sin will continue in the church or the process of sanctification will continue in the church uh, until the Lord returns and until we receive our glorified body. So the leaven uh, is where sin is, so that's where the symbolism is. <clears throat> 